You are now listening to Sierra Unraveled, hosted by yours truly. I am a single mother who finally released myself from a toxic relationship with the help of God, of course, so I can pursue my wildest dreams. Tune in every week for some crazy stories, real life drama, and motivation to keep going. You got this. I don't think I've been entirely truthful. It's hard sometimes because I have so much going on in my head that I can't always seem to get everything on this podcast. That's also why I said I should just start dropping episodes daily. But if you knew how time-consuming editing is, it's just too much of a hassle sometimes. I have a cat, a toddler, and a roommate roaming around in my house most days, so is there ever really silence? Nah, of course not. Then I live near a private airport and some people in my neighborhood have very noisy mufflers. So you can imagine my perfectionism in this element. I want to talk about why I really want to move today, but I really can't because this place I moved into is really quite special, excluding that it was where I was supposed to raise my family. I mean, for Pete's sake, I buried my placenta in the backyard on some serious hippie shit. I know, just when you think I can't get any more weird, I really wanted to consume it but chickened out last minute because I don't know if we followed the right precautions to keep it safe for consumption, so it's probably better off that I just gave it back to the earth. And then the goal was to plant a tree over it that will grow back every year so we could remind Kyla that there's something down in that soil that helped grow something very beautiful, more beautiful than that tree, her. Happy birthday to my darling baby girl who's turning two today, and congratulations to me and my ex-partner for keeping her alive for two years. Now where's our damn trophy? So obviously I wouldn't have done something so weird and special in this backyard here at this house if I didn't think I wasn't going to stay. Lord, please don't let my future homeowners of this house or renters hear this podcast because they'll really think that I'm a quack. But this house is also special for other reasons. It brought me the best neighbors a girl far away from her family could ever ask for. I'd say half of my block I talked to on at least a weekly basis. God placed me in this house for a reason. My one lovely neighbor finally convinced my spirit to go to church with her after asking for almost a year straight. Bless her perseverance. And then later, she would baptize me. My other neighbor that lives behind me has four beautiful daughters and knows what it's like to go through a custody battle. He goes to church with my neighbor that lives on one side of me. Plus, he has a super cool dog that Kyla is absolutely obsessed with and they're the same age. Then on the other side of me is a darling newlywed couple who just went to a freaking Christian concert. And last but not least, my neighbors that live two doors down from me. These are our grandparents on the block. My daughter knows what kind of cars each of them drives and badgers me to take her over there as soon as I pick her up in the morning. COVID has allowed us to get extremely close. One is a partially retired construction lad and the other works part-time. The first year I lived here, we all know it was frowned upon to have a relationship with anyone who could potentially see the light, so I didn't talk to them much. But when COVID happened and we were all confined to our neighborhoods, we started wandering over there every now and then. It started as a regular porch driveway talk, to me sitting on their grass while Kyla ate popsicles in their driveway, to us eating dinner over there once a week, to us hanging out over there almost every other day on weekdays or weekends when I'm not at work. These are my people. Here's why. 
One, I gravitate towards people who are satisfied with what's in front of them and enjoying the most simplistic life and helping slash loving others. And two, they remind me a lot of how my ex and I could have been if he were to ever get sober. But then, you know, I found Jesus and that's all squashed. But then, then, two months ago, I found out that my lovely Meemaw used to run a women's ministry right in the historic area of town. She took in lost and hopeless women off the streets and tried to get them back on track and it all made sense to me. This is why we had gotten so close. She might see a lot of herself in me, as well as a lot of the women she used to take in. I asked her to be my mentor after I found all of this out, and of course she agreed, although we didn't really know what this would all entail. One month ago, they told me that they're moving all the way across the country and getting rid of their properties here in Michigan. Dunzo, gone, finito. I'm crying as I write this because I don't think you understand how much they've contributed to my sanity and how much wisdom they've given to me over the past year. I can't believe they're leaving. And if I wasn't stuck in this stupid house, in this stupid state, with no help from my family because of this damn court order and my toxic ex, I would leave and go with them in a heartbeat. Two weeks ago, Mima gave me a sermon she preached way back when, and I swear this packet that she gave me was written on a typewriter because this paper is tinted yellow and has that beautiful old book smell. Not to mention, it has this in parentheses on the last page. End of tape. Sentence not complete. (laughs) I'm going to read it to you, what she said, because it's beautiful, inspiring, and encouraging, just like she has been for me. Of course, I'm going to change the names just because, you know, it's better sometimes for things to remain anonymous. This was her speech on sharing ministry to the poor. I'm actually going to begin my sermon with a text from Luke because I didn't want anyone to go through withdrawal since Steve isn't here. In Luke 10, 17, the disciples are coming back as they've been out on ministry tour and they are very excited. They go up to Jesus. This is not any version but my own. You won't find it in the Bible this way. But they've been out on a ministry tour and they're very excited and they come back to Jesus and they say, even demons flee because we shout the name of Jesus. Demons flee and they're subject to us in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, you know, that's exciting, but I don't want you to rejoice in the fact that demons flee when you speak my name. I want you to rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. I want you to rejoice in your salvation. I want you to rejoice in the fact that you have the grace of God upon you and that's what it's doing. It's not how God is using you, but it's letting God's grace come upon you. And that's where I want your joy to come from. That's where I want you to rejoice. And I want you to rejoice in the fact that you are a child of God and that my grace can transform you into the image of Christ. And I just want to share with you that I'm rejoicing because I'm a child of God and the Lord has called me to do a special thing. But through that, the Lord has given me Jesus. Jesus has given me a new life. Jesus has basically given me my life back. And as the song says, Jesus is full of compassion and he does stretch out his arms and he has become our safe refuge. So from there, it kind of summarizes what's been going on in my life. I've been learning to be a child of God. The way that's happened is July 20th, 1991, side note, four years before I was born, was a very significant day in my life. I began a journey that I still don't know where it's going to take me. It changes daily, it changes hourly. It could be different when I get home, so you learn to just roll with the flow. It's also helped me to open my eyes, and it's helped me to receive Jesus through people that I would least expect to receive him from. 
Jesus was a guy that roamed the streets. Jesus related to the poor and the needy. Jesus had compassion on the needy. Jesus fed the needy. Jesus loved the needy. And Jesus has given me people like that in my life. And they have given me Jesus back as a reward. Several years ago, I was in one of those high paying, prestigious professional career jobs. And let me tell you how I got to where I am today. I felt like the Lord said, you know what? It's time for you to give up that career. It's over. I've probably said a thousand times since then, Lord, are you sure you want me to give up my career? Me? I mean, I'm Miss Career Woman USA. And the Lord said, yes, I want you to give up your career. So I said, okay. And through a series of very trying events, I found myself out of a professional job. I found myself in a Christian service job. I found myself with a 50 to 60% salary cut. So needless to say, my life took many changes. My spending patterns took dramatic changes. But what the good part of it was, was that through this, the Lord was able to reveal to me the source of my identity. And I could no longer look to my job and say, I'm so-and-so and I've done this and this. And I couldn't thrive on my accomplishments anymore. And I couldn't thrive on the stress. And I couldn't thrive on, I've done this, I'm that. What the Lord taught me instead was that I needed to draw my identity from Jesus. And that was a tough lesson for me to learn, and I'm still learning it. But what I learned was that with children, there's two characteristics. There's many characteristics, but children are very emotional and children are very needy. And I've been both of those in the last several years, and I still am, not saying that I've jumped the hurdle. But it's been great because as a result of that, the Lord has freed up my mind. He's freed up my heart so that I can receive others in my heart and let myself out. When I felt this call to quit my career, I got prayed over almost everywhere I went, in all kinds of different places, by all kinds of different people, all kinds of different forms of prayer. Hundreds and hundreds of times I sought prayer. Many of you prayed over me many times, and there was one central theme in this prayer. And the central theme was that the Lord was calling me somehow, in some way, in some shape, in some form, to do works of mercy, to reach out to the poor, to reach out to the needy, to reach out to the oppressed. Being the administrative type of person that I am, I kind of said, oh yeah, I'm going to buy a 120 acre farm and we're going to take in men and women and children and families and it's going to be an unlimited source of finances just coming in from the jump. It's going to be this great romantic thing. Not, not, not. I kind of got my bubble burst, but it was fun and it was fantasizing. I actually do know of a farm in Pennsylvania called The Haft. They've been around for about 30 years. They're very strong Christians. They take in men and women and children right off the streets and women that lived under the subways of New York City. Men and women that have AIDS. Men and women who were dumped off by their parents in the middle of the night. I went to this man who had been doing this for about 30 years. He's a wise man. He's dying of cancer. I wanted to get his wisdom. And in my excitement, I said, I just want to do this. I want to do that. He just kind of sat there and listened to me and he called it radical hospitality. I like that term. I like it a lot. He said, you know what? You can't go buy a farm and a barn and a set of buildings. The calling has to come in your heart. You don't go buy something to form your vision. God does something in your heart, and then you get your vision. Ask the Lord to form your heart to receive those people. Then you can get what you want, but let it be formed in your heart. It was a great revelation from the Lord, and I came back, and he said, you know, 
start out small, get a house, open a couple of rooms, and just take in a few people. You'll learn real quick if you're cut out to do that. It's not romantic. Start out small. Let the Lord form your heart. Let the Lord shape your heart. Let your heart be transformed into the mercy and compassion of Jesus. So on July 20th, 1991, I did close on a home, which was a miracle. On my salary, I qualify for about a $30,000 house, but a $30,000 house won't do what I want it to do. To all the homeowners, everything in the world that can happen when you're trying to close on a house happened to me. The week I was trying to close on my house was so bad. My secretary and my data entry clerk got flowers and sympathy cards for me because every hour they would hear moans and groans coming from my office. They would see the tears and everything else. But it happened, and I did get that house. We've taken in a lot of people, and it's really been an experience that I'll never forget. If I stop doing it tomorrow, what's the Lord done for me and for the people that come here can never be taken away. He's manifested himself in our midst. We've seen a lot of miracles. It's really amazing. We've seen miracles before our eyes just happen. We see prayer just powerfully answered, but we are also on the firing line. Satan thinks that he's king of the oppressed and Satan thinks that he's king of the needy. Satan thinks that he has the needy and the poor and oppressed all in bondage. And you shed some light and freedom for the poor and the needy and the oppressed and you better get ready to get shot down. I get prayed over all the time still for protection. Gary Slaughter had a vision for me once. He said, boy, you're really against this big, black, ugly thing with chains all over him. You better be careful. But Satan does not have to have a stronghold on the oppressed. Jesus is the king and savior for the oppressed. And it's really delightful to be able to serve these women that have been coming into my house. Also, the Lord's been very faithful in breaking my heart informing my heart to learn how to love people and to kind of just let go of my own prejudices. He's been very faithful in that area. He's also been faithful in providing for our needs. Let me give you some pretty exciting examples of how the Lord has done that for us. A lot of things I've learned from opening up my house and taking in people has been that I don't have the perfect plan for every woman that walks through the door. Surprise! Jesus has the perfect plan for every woman that walks through the door. And as long as I can step out of the way and let the Lord act, amazing things can happen. I've learned that God chooses and picks and uses who he wants to, when he wants to. You don't have to have a doctrine in theology. You don't have to be, have been going to church for 10 years with perfect attendance. God uses who he wants to. I want to share an example. It was a profound example for me, and I hope that you can grasp it. Our house celebrated Christmas in January. We don't do anything orthodox or traditional. This was the first night we were all home together. We had a nice meal and we had three women at that time that we were having as guests and one of them was a young 19 year old. After we had our dinner, I said, well, maybe we could just pray over one another just to have protection for one another and blessings and anointings for the new year. The 19 year old, she was very enjoyable and didn't stay long, but she said, I don't do prayer. I don't do that prayer stuff. So, you just do what you want to do and don't bother me. I said, all right, that's fine. One thing that we've learned is that you don't force God on anybody. You don't force Jesus. Jesus is not a God of force. Jesus will stand at your door and he'll knock, but he won't come in unless you want him to come in. And we don't push him in anybody's door. He knocks, but it's up to the individual to say, come in. It's their choice, always. We just told the woman, you know, 
when it comes time for you, we'll just say, do you have anything you want us to pray over for? And we'll all just individually on our own pray for that. So she said, that's cool. I'm just going to watch and I'll listen. We prayed over one woman and it was good. We had permanent residences and we have guests, but we're all one family. We actually prayed over one permanent resident that lived there and the power of the Lord just boom came down on her. It was amazing. The presence of the Lord was amazing. All of a sudden, this woman that said, I don't do prayer said, can I say something? And we're like, sure. And she spoke a piercing word of knowledge to this woman. And she spoke a specific word to this woman that was life-changing. And the Lord had been working on this woman. We'd been praying over her for weeks in this area. And this young lady had not a clue. But God came on her and used her in that moment and helped change this lady's life. Miss so-and-so and I were thinking, we're the vets here. We're going to have all the knowledge. We were astounded. We got no word. And we said, I don't know if... I want that woman to pray over me. She just doesn't mince her words. She just speaks it. But this very specific word was God is pleased with you. Those are good words and encouraging. And when it was over, I just thought that was profound. He doesn't care who you are. If he gets ready to use you, you better be ready to be used by him. Another thing is God's faithfulness and the way he provides for us. It's amazing. It humbles me every time it happens. The most amazing provision is I had a lady call me up one day and I really didn't know her that well. I talked to her a few times on the phone and she asked me where I lived because she wanted to come by my house on her supper hour. I said, okay. Seems a bit strange to me that she would just want to drive over to my house on her supper hour. I really didn't even know her that well. She came over and she gave me an envelope and she said, I want to give you this because God told me to do it. And if I didn't do it right now, I wouldn't do it at all. I said, oh, thanks. I just threw it aside and showed her the house and didn't think anything of it because she had to go back to work. And about 45 minutes later, I said, hmm, I better pick up this because I'll need to put the 50 or $100 in the bank to help get through. I opened it up and it was a check of $1,000. I started crying. I said, what? Is this woman crazy? Is she nuts? She probably thinks I'm a jerk. She comes over here to give me $1,000 and I just shove it off to the side and say, thanks. I went to the phone immediately and called her at work and said, are you nuts? Really? You must be crazy. She said, no, that's a gift to you from God. He constantly confirms stuff like that to me and it just happens all the time. Not a thousand. That was just an act of God. But people will come up to me and say, here, God told me to give this to you, etc." The interesting thing is that they all said, I have to do this right now, or I wouldn't do it. Somehow when God asks you to do that, you have to do it right away. There's men and women in this congregation that do this to me too. And it's very humbling because for so long, I was used to being on the side of saying, hey, here, you need this, have it. And it's humbling to be able to receive that. But again, it's just God's provision. One of the most exciting things that I've learned is that the ministry of Jesus is in our midst and that the ministry of Jesus is in the hearts of many, many people here. In the meager efforts that we do, God multiplies them. And you may think you just need to do one little thing, but if you touch one person, they may be able to touch five or they may be able to touch ten. And I've seen it. Just the meager efforts that we go through at our house, they're bigger than you can think. Any work of Jesus is powerful. Any work of mercy is powerful. The ministry and works of Jesus are bigger than us. I would like to share a story about this. 
One of the women that lives with us, Mary, she said I could use her name. It's hard not to use people's names. She's been with us for six months. And one day she came home from work and she said, we have to do something. We have to do something right now. You have to help me. This woman at my job is having an abortion tomorrow and I want to talk with her. This was a woman that maybe a year ago wouldn't have been in a position to do that. But God transformed her and changed her. And it wasn't so much the issue of the abortion. It was that she cared so much for this lady that she wanted to help her. She'd seen a need and she wanted to respond to this lady. She said, we have to go. She's getting off work at seven, let's go. We have to talk to her. I said, I don't think I'm, I don't think that's my calling to go and talk to that woman in, in that kind of position. So let's think of somebody else that we can call. And we did. She called another woman and they went down there and waited for this woman to get off work and we prayed. Lord, let this lady receive it as love because what they're trying to do is love for her and care for her. They're not trying to condemn her or convict her. They're trying to love and care for her. And they went down there and they talked to her and she canceled her abortion the next morning. She did have the abortion later, but that's not the point. The point is that Mary's life had been touched by the Lord and she wanted to touch somebody else's. It was profound. She almost did save a life though. She did, I guess, for a week, but she did it out of love and concern for that lady. And that lady just had a death in her family. And who was the one that she went to support for support? Mary. Mary was able to impart Jesus to her. And that itself is exciting. And it's just from the little meager efforts that we do that God multiplies his kingdom. So whatever you do, it doesn't have to be grand and glorious. Just tiny little efforts. God can do it. He's bigger than we are. One of the major things God has taught me in this time, and time again, is that my life does not depend on finding people who need me. The source of my life and the source of my joy is in the knowledge of God's love and acceptance for me. God didn't need me. He chose me. And he chose to love me freely. And he chose to love me gloriously so that I can have eternal fellowship with Jesus. And one of the greatest things that I've been able to come to grips with is this question. Is God satisfied with you right now? And the answer is yes. That doesn't mean that I don't have sin, because I do. I have a lot of it. And that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. That means that Jesus did it for me on the cross. He died for me. He loves me and accepts me. He's a God of love. He's a God of acceptance. He's not a God of rejection. He loves all of you and everybody out there should be able to say, yes, God loves me. Yes, God accepts me because he's a God of love and a God of acceptance. Another thing you learn when you serve is to throw away your own agenda because it doesn't work. There's a quote by an Orthodox priest, Father Thomas Hopko. This is a high lofty thought to obtain and I'm not there yet, but I kind of like it because it says, have we really thrown away our own agenda? Have we really from the gut said, we don't even know what tomorrow will bring? And it doesn't even matter. Do we not have a plan for the rest of our life? In fact, do we not have a plan for this afternoon? We don't know where God's going to take us. I'm trying to live my life that way. And it doesn't work all the time. But stuff does constantly change at our house. It can change in the middle of the night at 12 o'clock when you need to go bail someone out of jail. Or 2 in the morning. Or it can change at 9 in the morning. Or 3 in the afternoon. Or you never know what's going to be on the other end of the phone call when you answer it. 
You never know who's going to be at the door when you answer it. But it's fun and it's challenging. The couple thoughts that I'd like to leave you with is that God began to humble me and to make me be a child was that when you serve, I used to have this attitude of, I'm going to take Jesus to them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to answer all of their questions. You know, I, 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 I. But you know what? The truth is when you serve people like that, you go to Jesus and you find Jesus in them. And you really fall in love with Jesus through these other people. Those are Jesus' beloved people. Those are the ones that Jesus had compassion on. I've been so inspired by so many people that I've met because they have a simple faith in Jesus. They have a simple faith in obedience. They don't muck it up. They don't intellectualize it. They don't get it in a twit. They just believe in Jesus and they see what Jesus has for them. Through these people, I have learned about being able to express love and to be free with it and to be creative with it. And it's really been quite exciting to do that. The Lord truly has chosen the weak to shame the strong. As it said in the song, the Lord has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. The Lord has poured out his mercy on the ones who know their need. The Lord has poured out his mercy on the ones who have no hope at all. The Lord has stretched out his arm and the Lord has had compassion on the poor and the needy ones. And I thank the Lord. It's nothing I've done. It's just the grace of God that has allowed me to see Jesus through these people. And I received Jesus from people that two or three years ago, I wouldn't even have looked at. I would have just passed them by on the street. I maybe would have felt sorry for them, but now I receive Jesus from them and it's wonderful. I want to close with a quote from a guy that I know. He's a street guy, not like on the streets right now. And I felt overwhelmed and convicted by the statement when he first said it to me. But since I've been doing this, this statement has really brought freedom to me. This guy has been on the street for a long time. He's a big guy. He's been a warlord of the street gangs in Ypsilanti, so he's been around. I was talking to him one day, and I said to him, You know, if you could say something to the church, if you could speak to Christians, what would you say? I won't say it exactly like he did, but I'll paraphrase it just a little bit. He said, You know, church is intimidated by the street people. The church is afraid of the street people. When they come to us, they preach at us. But when, here goes the parentheses, end of tape, sentence not complete. (laughs) This is so great. But when they come to us and don't come at us and don't come down on us, that's not a word of conviction, but it's a word of encouragement because they do want to hear the gospel. They do want to hear the good news of Jesus. They do want to be loved and accepted. And that word has been something that I haven't forgotten. It's been a wonderful reminder to me. Go to them. Don't go at them. Let Jesus knock at the door. Let them answer the door. It's a new novel concept that God taught me. It's just loving people where they're at. Throwing away our own plan and our own agendas. And just letting them be who they are and letting God have his way. Wasn't that amazing? blows my mind. That being said, I had to do a tribute because at the end of the month, we will be saying our dues and I will be a wallowing buffoon. However, they bought an extra big house so that Kyla and I can go visit them whenever. 
If I could stop crying, I'd do a little dance. <laughs> Love you guys so freaking much for coming back every week. I have a guest from London coming on this weekend. Stay tuned. And as always, stop letting them unravel you because only you can unravel yourself. <laughs>